Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, you're, you're going to want to just have your Bible out tonight. This, tonight. <laughs> Man, let me, uh, let me have a few more sips of my coffee here. Man, I feel like I still haven't recovered from my wife leaving me for six days. Uh, things are still not normal. Mm, this is good. This is good. The coffee is good this morning. Amen. I, there has not been a series that I have been this excited about. A passage of scripture that I have not been looking forward to teach more than this passage of scripture. It is, uh, speaking of the lovely lady, there she is, no. <laughs> um, this, this is single-handedly, I believe, the most important piece of literature for the church today. And I know many of you would say, well, isn't it the Bible is the most important? Uh, yeah, but the Bible's made up of 66 books. Uh, and I think as far as pound for pound, this book is so vitally important. There's so, there's so much that brings clarity to what we do from a theological perspective from this book more than any other. Yes, you can read the Old Testament, and, and I'm not discouraging that. And I think you'll see that through this series. There are some that think that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament and focus our efforts on the New Testament because it's more relatable. I don't think that. I think that if you read Romans, you'll read that there's tons of Old Testament references in it. Paul didn't do that. But it brings a level of clarity because of who he was, Paul that is, and his testimony that I believe is unrivaled, unmatched. And it's also a daunting task because there are so many passages of Scripture that are uh, debated and that are, you know, folks just take different perspectives on, take different angles within the church. Uh, so I'll bring kind of some clarity where I stand on a lot of these issues. Uh, but it's vitally important. And like I said, I don't, I don't think we were ready for this book up until this point, but I don't know that there's a better time to teach it than now. It's, it's going to take us some time to get through it. It's going to take us a while to get through this book. Um, we'll probably take more time than we have in some of these others that it's been, yes, an overview, but deep diving in certain places. There's so many aspects that we could deep dive into and wade in the weeds. So uh, for some of you that you like the more overview and give me a nice little application that I can apply uh, during the week, this is going to challenge you. This, this series is going to be something that uh, it hopefully will expand your biblical palette to receive something a little bit more, to receive something that will give you some, some substance to your faith. Uh, you know, like there's a difference between taking a can of Campbell's chicken noodle, and it's good and it's, you know, for what it needs to be, and dumping it into the bowl and heating up a can of water, the same thing of water and putting it in there and mixing it up and, and eating that. There's a difference between that 
and when my wife decides to make homemade chicken noodle soup. One has a specific purpose and makes you feel better. The other one sticks to you. You know what I'm saying. It's substance. It's something that is going to go with you. And you're not ready for another meal in an hour and a half after eating her soup versus what's in a can off the shelf. That's the difference between some of our Bible studies that we've had and what we're about to do. This is homemade. And it's homemade in such a way that I believe if you will listen, if you will apply yourself, and part of that is just being here and being present, and when you miss, be online and catch up and don't miss, don't miss a message, don't miss a part in this series because it's gonna build one on another, one on another, and we are gonna, we, we are gonna understand and rehearse the tenets of our faith, justification, by grace, through faith. We're going to get down into what Nacho Libre says is the nitty-gritty. Uh, we're going to get into it. Uh, and it is going to be something of substance, something that will stick with you. And you have to commit and you have to be a part uh, and invite someone along with you. This is going to be a series, I believe, that lives on. It's on YouTube, in the archives, something that you can invite folks to watch and listen and read along. My notes are, are of course, in the program, they're there, they're available. Um, I want this to be something that, that changes all of us. Not just, not just you, but me. I can't, like I told my wife, we we're kind of chatting about it. This, this book, I've had, you know, you go through seasons where you're digging into the word of God and then you're just reading through the word of God. And I've been through a season recently where it's just, I'm just reading it. I'm getting some things out of it, but it's not... It's not like, man, I got to deep dive into that. I need to study that word. I need to study those words. I need to see where they fit. And like immediately when I went into this book, I'm like, I'm back into, oh man, here we go. It's that good. It is that good. It's that incredible. And it's that applicable. So to start the series, uh, one thing I felt is necessary. And, and I, you know, just to be transparent with you, I didn't think to do this in the beginning. I, I take a lot of things for granted from time to time in terms of like biblical knowledge. And I had to remember the fact that I'm so excited about this book. I'm so excited about this study because I know a lot about Paul. I have spent a ton of time reading and studying Paul as a person, who he was as an apostle. And so I'm approaching, you understand what I'm saying, this book that he wrote with all of my presuppositions of who he is and what he's done. And so I'm going, man, this is amazing. This is such a page turner. And then I'm like, wait a minute, what if they don't know who Paul is? What if you don't have, uh, and I would encourage you to do more than what I'm going to do in just a few minutes here, but um, you, you have to understand who this guy was. And so I, I want to take some time uh, to, to show you in the scriptures who he was and why it's important who he was and what he represented, and that's going to set the stage for the book that he wrote that I believe is the most important piece of literature of his 13 letters for the church today. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in, Okay. Is everybody ready? Everybody ready? I'm so pumped for this series. Uh, let's pray. Father, we need your spirit. Come into this place, into our hearts. Remove the sin. We confess, we forsake the things that are standing in between. 
And Father, we ask that you would peel back the layers of our soul, strip the wallpaper off the hallways of our mind, and let's redecorate with the series. Let's be renewed from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, get your Bibles out. If you have it on your phone, get it on your phone. It's so much, so many passages. Just get, get it in your hand, get it ready to go, and we'll read this together. If not, it's on the program, all pasted in there. Um, but we're going we're gonna to have to read quick. And I apologize for not putting it on the screen, but I, I think it's, it's a lot. It's too much. Uh, so just read along with, and you'll get the, the context of who... Paul is. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22 through 23. And I see the time. I'm well aware, and I don't care. <laughs> anyway, let's go. 22. Just kidding. I got to teach starting point after this. Uh, look at 22 right there. Are they Hebrews? So am I. This is Paul's testimony. This is a passage of scripture. If you were with us in 1 and 2 Corinthians, you'll know that this is Paul giving his testimony post-conversion. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. This is our author talking about himself, his testimony. He's a Hebrew. He's an Israelite. That's the perspective. Keep going. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like uh, a madman. I'm a, I'm a better one with far more laborers and many more imprisonments, far worse beatings Many times near death, five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. My father is ultimately Abraham. And those guys, my family, beat me three times with 39 stripes. This is no small. This is like if you had one of those beatings, it would change you forever. If you had one beating, I mean, I listen to people talk about, man, I got a spanking when I was a kid, and it, they still remember it. You know what I mean? It's like, my mama just kept whipping and whipping and whipping, and man, I, I couldn't walk for days. And we all know, you probably got three or four licks. You know what I mean? Like, when we relive it, it's, she just kept spanking and spanking. And, and like, no joke, I had a mom that produced the 40 save one lashes, and that, my mother, I've told the story before, she literally borrowed a deacon's belt in church so that she could spank me because I wasn't in my place. That's who my mom was. That's the generation that I grew up in. Uh, my parents are older. I'm the baby. I'm the mistake. I mean, I'm their youngest. And uh, here I am. So my mom is literally the person to walk up to a deacon and say, uh, Deacon John, I need your belt. And there was no one in that auditorium that could have kept him from going, yes, ma'am. <laughs> here you go. And it wasn't even awkward, right? It's just, and then she says, Matthew, get in there. And I'm like, <laughs> I think my beating was 39 lashes, mom. If you're watching online, it was 39. But my point is, is this was something that we remember those moments as kids. This is in his adult ministry. When he thought about his testimony, when he thought about what he, what he had gone through, he goes, three different times I received a life-altering beating from my people. This is the author of this book. Three times. Once I received a stoning. And that's not like, I had my medical card, bro. <laughs> this is great. No, that was slow freight there. That's not what he's talking about. They stoned him near to death, right? 
Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the open sea. That's just crazy. One of these things would have been enough to change someone for life. Listen to all of these things that have happened to him. I'm probably only going to get through this introduction today. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There's the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? If, I boast, if boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. The God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows I am not lying. In Damascus, a ruler under, under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to arrest me. So I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. That's his testimony. We forget sometimes that these are letters written by real people. What makes the Bible so impactful is that this is a letter written by a real dude. And think about what he went through to bring this letter to you. So there's a few things that stand out to me, but let's keep going. Let's go to Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Buckle up, stay with me. This is Saul's, Saul initiates Stephen's stoning. Now one thing you need to understand is Saul of Damascus, uh, Saul of Tarshish rather, he, this guy Saul is Paul. It's the same person. Not until Acts 13.9 was his name seen as also called Paul. So when, when the scripture says Saul here in these passages that I'm putting in front of you, that's Paul. That's who we're talking about. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, the first deacon of the church, his name was Stephen. And the Bible says that he was a faithful, godly man. Saul agreed with putting him, Stephen, to death in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Watch this, verse 3. Saul, however, who is Paul, was ravaging the church. He would not enter house after house, or I'm sorry, he would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. This is our author. This is the guy who we're talking about. His testimony was all of these, uh, it was all of these things that he's gone through, but listen to who he was before he found Jesus. Saul was his name. And Saul had the keys to the kingdom from the high, highest court in the Jewish land, the Sanhedrin. And they gave him the authority to go house to house and drag out Christians, men, women, and children. And the scripture says here that he was responsible for the execution of Stephen. More so, even when you read it, he held the coats of those that stoned him. That's our author. Our author was someone who, in light of recent events, would be on the Russian side. 
In light of recent events, understanding that this is our territory, I don't care about their freedom, I don't care who they are, men, women, and children, I have no regard for the Ukrainian people because this is, as far as I'm concerned, a place for the state of Russia, the country of Russia. That's Paul's mindset. I am a Hebrew. We have the law. We keep the Torah, and that law uh, is from Moses, passed down from our father Abraham, and Jesus was not who he said he was. We crucified him in a botched trial because he thought he was going to come and change what we understand is right and good. He was a religious zealot, similar to Simon, one of the disciples who was converted. But pre-conversion, Paul was a horrible person. Saul, known as Saul. Killing men, women, children. It didn't matter because they were infidels, if you think about that, language with Islamic extremists, right? This is the type of mentality that he had. This is our author, Saul. All of this is vitally important. Look at chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25, and I read. This is the passage of Saul, or Paul, of his conversion. This is so important to our book here. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. So, we're painting the, the picture here. Saul persecuting the church, killing men, women, children, was responsible for killing one of the most faithful men in the early church, Stephen, stoning him, wreaking havoc on the church, given authority from the Sanhedrin to persecute the church and end the church, right? The same group of people that crucified Jesus, he was 110% for them and against the church. Does everybody see that? Look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25, and this is his glorious conversion. The Damascus Road. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Do you see that? He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. Why would he do that? Well, that's where they were meeting. So that he found any men, women who were along the way, and he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you, Lord? He knew. Do you see that? Who are you, Lord? He knew immediately who was turning him around, who was knocking him off his horse. Saul said, and here's what it is. Verse 5, I am Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine? If you were doing everything that you could to work against the church, to kill them, to shut it down, to bar the doors, to end every Christian's life that you see, they're living for one name, the name that is above every name, and that name is Jesus. And then a light from heaven shines on you while you're in a caravan to go and persecute and kill more of them. And he immediately in that moment says, Lord, he knows when he's in the presence of God. He knows that the light that came didn't just illuminate his skin, it illuminated his heart. And he said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. He meets Jesus face to face. Verse six, but get up. 
go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was struck blind. So they took him by hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. He had such an incredible conversion. Such a, I mean, he hit a a brick wall of Jesus. So strong, blinded for three days, he didn't even eat and drink. Sits in silence. Can you imagine? Can, Can you imagine your entire life's, I just bit my lip again. It's like a little swollen. I bit it really good yesterday while I was eating, so I'll probably bite it like three more times this morning. Pray for me. (laughs) Can you imagine your entire life's work and purpose in an instant being changed? In an instant being told that everything that you've been doing, you're not going to do it anymore, and it's trash. I mean, I would sit in a dark room for three days and not eat and drink either. That many years? I'm. What have I done? My point is, is that he was doing what he thought was right. This horrible, wretched sinner going around, stealing, taking, not really. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was in his own right, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In his own right, probably had the Torah memorized. In his own right, he could justify his behavior. He understood the old covenant in and out. He understood Moses and Abraham and his forefathers better than any of us could understand it. He was in it. He was steeped in it. He got it. And it is from that belief that he was persecuting the church. (laughs) There's a lesson in and of that, in and of itself. But my point to you is this, everything is changed in an instant. Get up, verse 11. Go to, oh, 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 I missed a certain part here. The men were speechless. He was unable to see. Look at verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10 of the book of Acts. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Think about if you were Ananias. Check this out. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... Here am I, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. I mean, first of all, like, we whine and complain about the Lord telling us what to do. Like, think about these guys. Hey, get up, go to the street. (laughs) Y'all are, like, waiting for the Lord to, like, pat you on the tushy and give you an appreciation award. And here's a participation trophy trophy for coming to church for three weeks in a row. And that's the society we live in. (laughs) Jesus is like, yo, Ananias, get up and go to the street. It's called straight. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Give us some Ananiases in the world, my goodness. So he says, go to the street called straight. And uh, I'm looking for it right here. To the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul. Since he is praying there. Lord scared Paul right into a state of prayer for three days. (laughs) Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. No, here's what I think it is. I think when you're converted and you understand that Jesus is who he said he was, immediately he began to play back all the havoc he wrecked on the church. Immediately, three days and three nights, he goes, oh my goodness, all those men, women, and children. He knew in that moment that, oh, Jesus was who he said he was. 
think about what I did. I weaponized, I weaponized my Jewish beliefs. I was killing people. I think that's why he was in prayer and in silence. Get up, go to that street, find a guy named Paul, or Saul of Tarsus. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain sight. Lord, Ananias answered. He's like, God's saying, Paul or Saul has seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming and restoring his sight. So I need you, Ananias, to go be that dude and touch his eyes and restore sight. Think about Ananias. I'm not giving that guy back his eyesight. He's killed my brothers and my sisters. He's been the worst enemy of the church. Are you for real? You can go ahead and call another Ananias. Go back to your uh, spiritual phone book, God, and call another one. Because I ain't going. I can imagine that's the, the angst that he's feeling. Do you understand? It's a good thing he's blind. I bet you money when Ananias got in there, he was like, oh, man, I tripped and fell. Man. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. He was like duck walking in there, putting him in a submission. Just kidding. He was working him over before he gave him his eyesight back. And I wouldn't blame him. Think I'm trying to paint you the picture of how Paul was converted and why it's so important that we understand who he was for the relevancy of these letters. People, this is where the, the picture should start to form for you. When people talk about the Bible and <laughs> people just are writing things down and religion was used to control people and all the things you hear, right? Like they don't understand who this author was. You could not have, have paid this guy off. You could not have paid Paul enough money to pen the words that he pens about Jesus. It, the only place it could have come from was a complete life transformation. How do we know that? His track record. Stay with me. Keep reading. Get up. Go to that street. Ananias, I've heard from many people about this man, how much he has uh, done harm to saints in Jerusalem. Look at verse 14. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Watch this next statement, verse 16. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Why is that important? Only God could take someone who has made so many people suffer and change his life so that he willingly suffers for the rest half of his life. That's what makes so much sense about this. I have personally selected the word. Now you understand why Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. People, I've heard pastors preach sermons on that, and they're like, he wasn't really, you know, that's just him understanding his sin more than others. No, he was horrible. He killed men, women, and children. I'm sorry, but I've not killed men, women, and children. Do you understand the picture that's being painted here? He was the worst of the worst. But doing it religiously, that, that's, that's what I want you to see. From the perspective of not the worst of the worst because he was greedy, not the worst of the worst because he was being paid off, or because he was just indulging himself, no. 
he was very, he was very strict with himself religiously. He believed to his core that Jesus was not who he said he was. He believed to his core that if you called anybody by the name of Jesus, you should be killed. It's the law. It's the Old Testament. It's Moses. It's Abraham. I don't know about this Jesus character. He's not fulfilled. He's not the Messiah. That's who God used to bring the gospel to the Gentile people. Someone that would have never gone along with it had he not been converted. This, is, this book is not crafted by people that were cherry-picked that were yes-men. Paul killed people for believing what he now believed. More than that, more than that, he was willing to then go into all of those people and all of those challenges and be afflicted himself and be stoned himself and be shipwrecked himself, take the lashings himself. He understood. He goes, oh my goodness, I was so wrong. Therefore, I will endure. And that's why he says in the book of Philippians, I have fellowship in Jesus' sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. It was the craziest conversion of all time, and it took a miracle. It took God himself opening, splitting heaven and saying, hey, you knucklehead. Knocks him off his horse, struck blind three days. Ananias is like, I'm not, I'm not, no, go. Gives him back his eyesight. It is a miraculous conversion, this man, the Apostle Paul. I think it's one of, if not the biggest apologetic for our day. When people talk about, I just don't think I can believe in that. I don't think I can accept the Bible for what it is. It's still here. It's the craziest of stories. This guy knew everybody. Paul was so well-connected. Historically, it's a fact. A Roman citizen could go in and out of countries and used his clout, his political clout, his money. He was rich. He was wealthy. He had it all. Used it all to persecute the church. And God said, I know how I'm going to win the Gentiles. I know how I'm going to build my church. I'm going to take the worst of the worst. And if I convert him, watch what he does for, for my name's sake. Life change is at the center of the gospel, and it always will be. You cannot argue with someone who was absolutely someone else, and now they are someone completely different because they met Jesus. I just don't If he was standing here, his personal testimony, if he was put on the witness stand, it would be enough. We put a lot of clout in an eyewitness. If a crime is done and you witness it, you go into court. Why? Because you what? I think it's so interesting that he loses his sight for three days. The Lord says, you don't need to see anything in that old perspective. I'm going to give you new eyes, not just a new heart. We have to understand how powerful this man's conversion was. Let's keep going. But... (laughs) I knew this was going to happen, Miss Patty. I knew it. I'm going to rein it in a little bit. Y'all take a deep breath. We're just getting started. Ananias went to his house, verse 17, placed his hands. I get chills every time I see this in the scriptures. Look at verse 17. Mm. 
Ananias went and entered the house, and he placed his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul. something a little stronger than coffee this morning. (sighs) Imagine if the Lord gave you eyes to see your worst enemy as a brother. Imagine if the Lord gave you eyes to see with compassion the person you hate the most. He walks up to him and he says, Brother Saul. We can live right there the whole message. You understand what I'm saying? When you encounter a truth like that in the gospel, When you see this story play out, the worst of the worst in a moment is changed and immediately Christians watch, embrace him. That doesn't happen in the world. It does not exist outside of the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Brother Saul, imagine the weight that Paul felt in that moment. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be called a brother or sister in this family. And Ananias immediately approaches him and gives him his sight as a brother. It's a good thing it wasn't Jonah he called. (laughs) He'd have been like, out, deuces, see you. It's a good thing it was Ananias. Listen, here's my point, church. Online, in person, the gospel is a transformative work. If you don't believe it today, I believe one day you will believe it. You can't help it. I can't unsee what I have gone through. Go back to the text. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain <laughs> regain your sight and be filled with the who? The Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Verse 18. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was what? Baptized. We believe that after you have a conversion experience, baptism is your declaration of loyalty to Jesus. It happens after conversion. This is another instance of it. He was baptized. Verse 19, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. My man, no food, no water, three days. Try that one once. A complete fast. He begins to take food, regains his strength. Now watch this. He walks out different. Look at it. Saul was with the disciples in the Damascus for some time. Verse 20, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name? This name, the name of Jesus? And came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. (laughs) After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned in their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. That was part of his testimony in 2 Corinthians. 
How are you going to tell somebody who was just killing people for saying that name as he comes in and says, I understand. Saul, Paul, understood their faith and their religion better than any of them. He was a leader. And he said, guess what? Jesus is the Messiah. Say what? This is just too good to not believe. You, you, this doesn't happen unless there is something supernatural, above natural feelings and emotions, and that's what happened. Saul is filled with the Holy Ghost. He's baptized, and literally he goes out and starts reversing everything that he had done as a Judaizer. Hey, guess what? Y'all in the synagogue, Jesus is the Son of God. I wish I could... I'm going to Heaven's Archives, Heaven's Netflix, and just be like, I want to see that point in time right now. I want to see his first message after his conversion in the first synagogue in Jerusalem. Ready, go. I can only imagine. This is the man who wrote the book of Romans. Acts 13, verses 9 and 9 through 10, it says this, But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? That's the first time he's referred to as Paul. So that's why we're interchanging Saul and Paul, same guy. Now, our text. Go to the book of Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, verse number one. This is the man who wrote the book. Are we acquainted with him enough? Yes, no, maybe so? Are we acquainted with him enough? This man, unbelievable, handpicked from the Lord to be the vehicle that he would carry the gospel to the Gentiles. Now understand this. This is a, a change. You have to understand the, the context here. This was mainly a Jewish religion. Scripture says this. Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's, there's more than I can make in this message here, but the Tower of Babel event in the Old Testament is the opposite of the Pentecost event in the New Testament. The Tower of Babel, Jesus, uh, the Lord Yahweh, uh, strikes them with languages and disinherits all of the other nations. They leave speaking in their own tongue. They separate. They're disinherited. And God is the God of a geographical location, Jerusalem, Israel, those people. He is their Israel's God. Now what we have, fast forward, right, to the New Testament, the plan is that God would be the God of every nation. He promised that through the covenant that he made with Abraham. You would be a father to what? Many nations. But first, he had to be the God to one nation, right? That one nation would be the vehicle that Jesus would come to the world. Jesus was born a Hebrew of the line of the lineage of David, and we're going to see that. The point, the context of that is that Jesus would come, and then at Pentecost, Jews from every nation, the Bible says, were gathered in Jerusalem. And watch, the opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel event happened at Pentecost. The Tower of Babel, I'm choosing a nation. All of them are disinherited, leave speaking in separate languages. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. They are speaking, coming in different languages, and then when the Spirit of God falls, they all hear in what? 
their own tongue together. That is a sign that the Holy Spirit is now given to every nation. You're then going to carry the message of Yahweh, the one true God of Israel, now is the God to every what? Every tribe, every tongue, which was the plan from the beginning. It's the reversal. Pentecost is the reversal of the Babel event that happens in the Old Testament. And the new covenant is that we, Gentiles, non-Jews, would be grafted into this plan. That Jesus, the vine, would, we would then become the what? The branches, which is why he would speak to a Samaritan or a half-breed. He would go to that mountain, and she would say, why are you talking to me? Why are you? He says, look, there's going to come a day when you and your mountain will worship true worship. Not just on Sinai, where the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words were given, but in your mountain, in your place, in your name. It's for everybody. Now, how does God get what is an exclusively Jew religion to every Gentile nation? Paul. He's, he's it. He is the vehicle that the Lord uses in his ministry to take it to everybody. The Lord has the person who's literally racist and kills everybody who isn't who he is and says, if Paul is saying it, that this is the gospel for the Gentiles then this has to be what the Lord wants. If Paul is converted and Paul is willing to give his life for this new cause, this new belief, there must be something to this. And he even goes toe-to-toe with Peter. Time and time and time again. But the message of this, here's what you have to understand, and we're going to read it, is this message of the gospel, the power of God, Romans 1, 16 and 17, which is the thesis statement for the entire book, is the foundation for that message going to the world. And it's why you and I, non-Jews, and if you're a Jew, God bless you, you're included as well, but it's why we are here 2,000 years later. It worked, and it is continuing to work. Just a little bit of context. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. I got nine minutes. Romans chapter 1, verse number 1. And I read, Paul, go go here in this one. Mm -hmm. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. This is going to, we're going to be on this one for a couple of weeks. This is so good. Don't miss this. Paul, a servant, word, Greek word, doulos, a servant of Christ Jesus, rather, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Does anybody remember what we just talked about for the last 30, 25 minutes? Do you, do you remember who Paul was? Have we already forgot? Did, should I have got it in a documentary for the screen and then everybody would have retained it? This is the same guy. The same guy who was persecuting the church and killing them. Watch this. He says, I'm a servant. I'm a slave. Another word for doulos Greek. I'm a bondman. This is a guy of stature. This is a guy of clout. This is a guy of means, of wealth. And he says, I have reduced myself to a slave. And I've done it happily. It's, we miss these words, don't we, in English? I'm a servant. Oh, yeah, he served people. No, no, he's saying, I'm owned. 
I'm now enslaved. I'm, here's what it would be, a bondservant, someone who has a debt greater than they can pay, go to someone who can pay it, and they become servant to them because they can pay something that they couldn't pay themselves. Woo, come on. This book is so rich. He said, I have indebted myself to the one who can pay my debt. Uh. I wore my hoodie today because I knew it would be a workout. Actually, I just didn't feel like ironing, if I'm being right. I lost that hour. I'm like, shoot, better put a hoodie on. <laughs> Slide out of here. Church. Oh, my goodness. He says this. Do loss. I am born a slave to Jesus Christ. A natural thought for one in his culture to have based upon Paul's realization of his need for salvation. He sees and understands that his debt could only be paid by another, Jesus. And for this reason, he is a bondservant. He will work for Jesus indefinitely. He sees value of the sacrifice made and the irreparable damage of his former life. That's loaded in the first three words. Son. All right, let's keep going. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, and was appointed to be the powerful son of God, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Though, uh, I'm sorry, through him... We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the what? The Gentiles, verse six, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ, watch this, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna stop there today. Let me fill you in on this. It's called the book of Romans because he's writing it to the city of what? Rome. This is shortly before the emperor would send out a decree that every Jew, because he believed that they were growing too strong in number, would be expelled from, you, this is a historical fact, every Jew would be rounded up and expelled from the region and then later allowing them to come back. But this, this letter, A.D. 57, uh, toward the tail end, Paul's third missionary journey is when this takes place. He's riding to an area that will soon be dispersed by the emperor. And then they're going to take this message, this letter, and it's going to what? It's going to go. So the Lord strategically is sending this letter at a perfect time. Uh, but understanding culturally, they believe that their uh, scholarship agrees that there's about 50,000 Jews at this time right there in Rome. And that's a huge, significant number in this day and age. Huge Jewish population, primarily written to them. But Paul also says that, listen, guys, your place, Rome, the seat of authority right now, the governing power of the day, it's important that you understand that the gospel isn't just for you. It's for everybody else that's there. So Paul writes to the people that are closest to the battle, if you will, for the Gentiles so that this message will permeate and allow them to come into the church as well. 
And that's kind of like his goal. Just to finish up today with, with some comments about the first part of this book. He says this, called as an apostle. If you have your Bibles there, it says in verse number one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and we talked about that. But he says, called as an apostle. What does that word apostle mean? Apostolos, the Greek word transliterated into apostolos, means this, invited into a work of promotion. Here's another English word that makes sense for apostle, messenger. I'm invited into a work of promotion. I'm in marketing. That's what he's saying. Paul, a servant. I, I am in servitude, and my job as a servant is promotion. Does that make sense? An apostle. I have, watch this, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and now accept my highest calling, watch this, to represent the new name that I have been given. That's what he's saying. I'm a servant, but I'm an apostle. I'm indebted, and my job as my indentured servanthood is one of promotion. The next statement that I think is so loaded, and we'll, we'll stop here for the day. Look at that word. <laughs> we made it through one verse. This is awesome. I love it. Look at it. Look right there, verse number one. It says, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. What are the next three words? And set apart. Here's what it says. And set apart for the gospel of God. Let me expound on that a little bit. Set apart for the gospel of God. There's a few Greek words here. Really, it is a ferizo. Really sounds like chorizo. It's close. Yeah, a ferizo. And I'm sure I'm butchering these, but it's close. Made me think of you, Joe and Kathy. <laughs> Check it out. So, aphorizio. Here's what it. Here's here's some of. Whew, here are, here are some of the meanings that this Greek word carries. Boundaries. Don't miss this. Boundaries. Set apart for the gospel. Mark off. It means to mark off for one's self. And I see an appropriate tension here throughout this, throughout this whole book with this, with this idea of markers or a tension of boundaries. We have to understand kind of where he's coming from. I'm a slave that serves by choice and wants to tell everybody how incredible my master is. And watch this. The boundary that keeps me confined to this servitude is the good news of my master. I am promoting something that is also providing me with protection. Here's what else I wrote. The boundary language here is important. The sidelines and end zone are the framework of the gospel. I want to give you a picture here. Is your life set apart or framed with the good news of the gospel? Do you make exceptions? Do you play that life within those boundaries? Do you play for another team? Do you play on the same field? We'll wrap up here with this thought today. Look back at the text. Paul, a servant, a slave indebted to Jesus Christ, called as a messenger, called to promote, and set apart, my, my mission statement 
my boundaries, watch this, my job description, what keeps me on point, set apart for the gospel, the good news, that word is yongilian in Greek, for the gospel of God, the good news of God. And here's where we'll stop. And this is primarily a message for believers today. He says, I'm playing on a field that I know when I get out of bounds. It's when I'm not talking about the gospel. Here's a man whose life was radically transformed by the gospel. And then in turn, when he becomes a servant to the gospel, he knows how to stay on point and how to stay on track. How many of us Christians struggle with doing what the Lord wants us to do? How many of us struggle with staying on point? How many of us struggle with continuing and doing what we're supposed to be doing? Great timing. Come on up. How how many of us struggle with that? Watch right here, yo. Yo. Everybody, it's because I'm wearing a hoodie. Dress matters. Here's my point. We all struggle with it. We need boundaries. Look, all they're doing, I got to tell you this every week until you get used to it. They're going to come up and start singing for invitation right here. Woohoo! Everybody's like, <laughs> people are sheep, change my mind. Right here. We need boundaries, church. What keeps people from gossiping? I know what the good news is. We talked about that this weekend. What keeps people from running their trap? Is that really about the gospel? Out of bounds. I wish we had some kind of referee or something that would blow the whistle and tell us when we're not being set apart for the gospel of God. What am I doing here as a pastor? I'm trying to prepare a church for a work. I'm trying to tell you that there are people lost. There are Pauls out there right now. There are people that are outside of these walls that don't know Jesus from a hole in the ground. But you know him. And if you don't understand what these boundaries are, you'll go outside of them. You'll talk bad about people at work when the boundaries should be. If it's about the good news of the gospel, that's what I'll talk about. How do I know what to do? Is it within the boundaries of the good news of the gospel? Well, no, it's pretty selfish. Then get back on the field. Paul said, what I'm about to tell you, the framework for for this whole entire book is I'm playing in a game. I am promoting someone who has radically changed my life. And it is those boundaries of that news that I will now take for the rest of my life. And if that boundary leads me to 39 lashings three times, if it leads me three times to be shipwrecked, if it leads me to be snake bitten, if it leads me to talk to somebody that I don't like, if it leads me to share the good news with somebody that isn't like me, it's okay. I'm going to get over it because the rules on this field are different. The rules on this field are according to scripture. They're according to the good news that God loves everybody, that he's here to change your life just like he changed mine. And he's not a respecter of persons. He loves everybody. In fact, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's time we get on the field. It's time we know what the rules are. Christians are like way out of bounds with certain things. And I'm like, do you know what a score looks like? Well, yeah, when another person accepts Jesus as their Savior. That's a touchdown. When people are moved from darkness to light. Well, how do we get a touchdown? We've got to be in the game. 
Well, how do we stay in the game? We gotta know the rules. What's Paul saying? Here's my rules. I'm promoting Jesus, not myself. What's the rules? My boundaries are the gospel and that's it. Can you see that this book is gonna be different? Can you see that this book is gonna take us into another level of our faith? Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at BethlehemChurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.